Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. But ultimately, we should all have children within the faith. Ones we're pouring our lives into. We're training them up. But who's going to take your spot when you go? Newsflash, none of you are lasting forever. None of us are. I mean, yeah, once you die, you're forever with Jesus and all that. On this earth right now that is full of sin and sinners and ones who need to know Jesus, who takes your place? Who's going to take your place once God calls you home? Who's going to lead the people to God in your stead? Today, Pastor James is going to read through the book of 2 Timothy, where you'll see Paul send his replacement Timothy encouraging words during his final days. You see, Paul knew who was taking his place on earth, and so he invested in him everything that was invested into himself, through his mentors and through God. Jesus calls you to be a fisher of men, so who's going to take up your net once you're gone? Now here's Pastor James in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. This is really the last thing that's written by the Apostle Paul, okay? I know it's like, if you open up your Bible and you don't understand necessarily how the Bible is kind of set up, you would think like, well, Revelation, well, Paul didn't write Revelation. Um, Revelation was written by John, but as far as Paul and the Holy Spirit using Paul to pin his word, this is the last one. This is like uh, days before his head is going to be removed from his body. Okay, he is in prison. He is literally in a dungeon and he's just he's finishing his race. And while he's in the midst of a dungeon, he's still ministering, still ministering. And he's got this protege, Timothy. This is like his son of the faith. And he's got these last words he he needs to communicate to this kid who is really kind of uh, been placed as the pastor and overseer uh, of a church that Paul was um, just felt very near and dear to, and that's the church of Ephesus. And it was not without its issues, as we're going to see as we go through this book. So that's kind of the background for Timothy, short and sweet. This is the last letter from Paul, and it's to his son in the faith, Timothy. And this is all right before um, Paul's about to lose his life. And it's a beautiful book. It is a beautiful book. If you have this notion to think that Paul's an intellectual and he doesn't really convey emotion or anything like that, then you, you need to read Timothy, First and Second Timothy again, because this is written by a man who's just spilling out his heart. It's incredible. His love for this kid named, I say kid, Timothy's probably like in his 30s or 40s, okay? But we're going to cover all the stuff that's addressed in here. This is primarily a focus on the minister himself, Timothy, but there, there's a lot of application for us today concerning your relationship with Jesus and how you ought to really to, to hold fast. I mean, that's what we would title. If you read through 2 Timothy, I think the common theme behind the whole, whole thing is hold fast. Just stick with it. And let's, let me read you this story from the Old Testament that really kind of conveys this message. Uh, and you can actually turn there if you want. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Just concerning this message of hold fast. I want to 
but I just want to paint this picture in, in our brains before we really dive into this book. But 2 Samuel chapter 23, ironically, this is David's last words that are kind of being re- uh, recorded. 2 Samuel chapter 23, and, and just look with me at uh, starting in verse 9. This is David's mighty men that he's talking about. And, and he says, after him, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, which is unfortunate. It's, it's Dodo, Dodo or Dodai, you can pronounce it that way too. So you got Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. So just to paint the picture, they're going to war, constantly going to war against the Philistines. All of Israel had fled except for these three mighty men that David had. If you don't know the story of David and his mighty men, I would strongly encourage you to go back and read those stories. They are incredible. They're absolutely incredible. But this one guy, Eliezer, he's there with the three other mighty men. They're going to fight. Verse 10, it says, he arose, he, him singularly, arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. So he did all the hard work, and then the people show up. Isn't that how it is, right? Like, you do all the chores, and then the kids come and enjoy the house that you just cleaned. That's, that's how it works in our house weekly. Um, but this is the, the hold fast concept here. This guy was fighting all these Philistines for so long, and he was holding on so tightly to the sword that he couldn't even open his hand to let go of the sword. That's holding fast. That's holding fast. That is kind of the concept that Paul is going to convey to Timothy and to us concerning our relationship to Jesus, but not just our relationship to him, but this calling that he has on our lives. You hold fast to him as if you can't even open your hand to let go of the sword. You, un- you probably understand physically what that's like. I will sometimes paint houses. And there's days where you're painting all day and it's like, I can't even open my hand. To, I got to like shake the brush out because my hand doesn't work anymore because it's been conformed in one sense to hold on to that thing. That's really the, the visual and that's, that's the concept that we're going to be dealing with as we go through Second Timothy. So you can write somewhere. I always say to write in your Bibles, take notes in that thing. Hold fast. Maybe even your name. Hold fast to his word and hold fast to him. So let's get into this book. Common Paul, Pauline kind of epistle here. He starts off with the greeting. Verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So here he is. He's conveying this message. He always starts off his letters in a similar fashion where he's letting them know, this is who I am. This is who's writing it. It is Paul. We believe that, it, yes, this is actually the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And he, yes, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by what? Not by his own volition, but by the will of God. This is something that God has placed on him and called him to do. All right? It wasn't just like Paul's like, well, I'm the most qualified, so I'm going to be that guy. It's not, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. God had already selected Paul for this specific ministry. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. This is his kid. To my beloved son, to my, my beloved child. That's how Paul saw Timothy. 
probably at first kind of met Timothy on that, that first missionary journey. Um, we'll, we'll get into Timothy's background in just a second, but Timothy more than likely could have been, could have been already saved when he met Paul. But as far as like going into the ministry and being commissioned into the ministry itself, that's going to happen between Paul and Timothy. But Paul is specifically addressing this letter to Timothy, to his beloved son in the faith. Um, good question to just before we, you know, really get rolling into this is who's your kid? Who's your kid in the faith? You know, who is it? And you'd be like, well, I don't have one. Well, let's work on that. You're not called to be on this planet and to serve Jesus and to walk with Jesus to live some life in a, in a singular type sense. You're called to pass it on. You're called to invest in others, to disciple others is really what we're talking about here. Who is your kid in the faith? You might have biological children. That's great. I hope you're ministering to them, and I hope you're passing that along to them as well. But ultimately, we should all have children within the faith, ones we're pouring our lives into. We're training them up. Who's going to take your spot when you go? Newsflash, none of you are lasting forever. None of us are. I mean, yeah, once you die, you're forever with Jesus and all that. On this earth right now that is full of sin and sinners and ones who need to know Jesus, who takes your place? Well, it's not my responsibility. I think it is your responsibility. Well, no, that's Jesus. He'll, he'll figure it all out. No, 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 no. He's placed you here with a call and a commission, the end of the Gospels. What? Go. Preach the Gospel. Make disciples. That's actually a command. So who are you training up to replace you? Who's going to carry that torch once you leave? I would strongly encourage you to pray about that. If you're like, man, I don't know, and now I feel bad. Um, well, I don't say that to make you feel bad. I say that to stir up within you this notion that this life is beyond you. This, this life is it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. The kingdom is bigger than us. Pour into the lives of other individuals. Man, invest and I, I like that word a, a lot more than just pouring out your life. Invest into others. Train them up and then set them free, right? As believers, that's what we have to do. This is what Paul did, and it wasn't just for Timothy. Paul had Timothy, he had Titus, he had Silas, he had, he had a handful of guys that he invested in so that he could hand the ministry off to these guys when he knew his time was coming to an end. He was responsible. That's what we have to be. We have to be that way. You cannot say like, well, that's kind of God's problem. It's not his problem. He made it your problem when you said yes to him, and then you start reading his word, and he's like, hey, oh, by the way, Matthew chapter 28, that's a great, that's a commission. You got to do it. You have to do it. You should want to do it, right? So be like Paul, invest, train up, pray about who that might be. Who is that kid? Who is that child of faith? Who is that one? And don't think little kids. You don't have to like, think of just like, who are ones that maybe the Lord has placed within your path, so to speak, that you can maybe share the gospel with them and they get saved and you disciple them in and, and that way? Or maybe they're already saved, they just need somebody to take a chance on them. Pray about who that might be. Pray about who that might be. Because you have to have a Timothy in your life. You have to have a Timothy in your life. There's just no way around it. You need it. 
The other thing I would say is we always come across portions of scripture like this. Who's the Paul within your life? Who's the Paul? Who's the Apostle Paul within your life? Who is the one who has been pouring into you, who has been investing into you? Who is the one who took a chance on you? And you need to thank God for that person. And maybe you should take a special moment to reflect on all that that individual has done for you and thank God for them and maybe thank them as well. We've talked about this before, but I've had several individuals in my life who have poured into me and all that. Probably the biggest one, so to speak, within this realm is I have a Paul. His name is Pastor Gim in Amarillo, Texas. He has poured his life into me. He has invested in me. I wouldn't be here today if Bill hadn't taken a chance on me 18, 19, 20 years ago. He took a chance on me. The staff up there took a chance on me. I got to work and serve under him for 15 years. He's my Paul. He's my Paul. And he would even tell you that. So who, who are the ones who have invested into you? Praise God for those. Thank the Lord for those individuals who set that example. And now who are the ones that you need to do that for? Okay? I think that's a good practical application. All right? So there you go. So here, Paul is just setting the scene, setting the, the whole scenario there. This is to Timothy, my beloved son. Just a little common greeting there as he kind of wraps it up. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this. If you've never read, there's the pastoral epistles is what we call them. Um, that's First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, okay? Only within those three are these three attributes really thrown out there within the prayer. Grace, mercy, and peace. In all other letters, it's grace and peace. Grace and peace. You can check on it. I actually read through it and made sure of that. But um, it's grace and peace. You can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. I think we know that. But for the ministers, for the ones who are devoting their lives to serving the Lord, grace is what you need. Absolutely. Peace is what you need. Absolutely. Mercy is what you need. Absolutely. And maybe even more so for ministers. Why would I say that? Well, because anybody who stands, not just in this pulpit, but anybody who stands before anybody else and communicates the word of God to them, you understand, or at least I would hope they understand, you're being held to a higher standard of accountability. And James talks about that. Paul even talks about that as well. There is a higher accountability that has been placed on those individuals. So you better take it seriously and you better represent them in everything that you say, rightly. Because I know I will stand before the Lord one day, and I will give an account, okay? And my goal in the end of it is that, Lord, I, I taught your word as clearly as I could, as best as I could, and, and I want to be kind of like John the Baptist in one sense, where I'm just decreasing the whole time, and you're increasing. That's, that's my goal, and just to hear, well done, hey, well done good and faithful servant. So ministers are held to a higher standard, and they should be. They should be. We are living in a, I mean, just our recent news. I mean, you got guys dropping left and right in the church world. Craziness. Whether it be accusations of abuse or abuse of power or sexual sins and all that stuff. I mean, they're dropping like flies. Crazy. It's sad. It's, it really is heartbreaking. What ministers need is grace and peace Ministers need mercy. 
They definitely need mercy. We all need mercy, and praise God, he's got an abundance of it that he's more than willing to pour out to us each and every day. But this is Paul's, his greeting to Timothy. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he's going to get into really the heart of this whole letter here. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So just pause right there for a second. So here, Paul, he's just starting off this letter, uh, letting him know, like, listen, number one, I serve the Lord with a good conscience. And he's not out of line by saying that. He can actually say that. We know his story. I think you know the Apostle Paul's story when he was formerly Saul who was persecuting the church. He was the guy showing up and kicking down the doors and dragging the Christians to prison. He was the one holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And Paul, at the end of his life, is saying, listen, I serve God with a pure conscience, a clean conscience. Well, how can he say that? Because he's got a renewed mind, transformed heart. He's a different guy. He's a different man. Was he perfect? Not at all. Not at all. But that's not even what this is talking about. He's not talking about like, I can serve the Lord knowing that I did it perfectly. That's not what he says. I have a clear conscience. He also is is indicating too that he's kind of picked up the torch, so to speak, from his forefathers as well. Somebody had laid the groundwork for him, so to speak. And he would say later on, when the time was right, that's when Jesus showed up on that road to Damascus and I got saved and devoted my life to him. So Paul's been through it all. He's seen it all. He's experienced it all. And at the end of his life, in this dark, damp dungeon, in what he's, it's literally a hole in the ground. You can go to Rome today, and you can see this, this jail cell that he lived in. It's not nice. He didn't have like a, you know, a bed and a toilet in the room kind of a deal. It's like, no, you live down there now until you die. It's a hole in the ground. And there he is in the hole in the grounds, full of joy. You can feel the joy just spilling off the pages of this letter. He's like, yeah, you know, circumstances aren't great, but it's cool. Why? Well, because my conscience is clear, man. I did what God has called me to do. I have done what God has called me to do. And he would say in in a different way, I've ran my race. I have ran my race. I am finishing well. I'm finishing well. Conscience is clear. He goes on to to elaborate to Timothy. He's expressing to him like, listen, man, I am praying for you constantly. That is a key element within the mentor-mentoree relationship, right? If you're investing in the lives of somebody else, you have to be praying for that person night and day. Why? Because they need it and you need it. Well, nobody's doing that for me. Well, start it for somebody else. I don't know. Like, I hope somebody is praying for you night and day. I hope that you have somebody like a Paul who is thinking about you continually and praying for you, maybe that you're not even aware of. I do know there is one guy who does this nonstop, and his name is Jesus. He intercedes on behalf of you all the time. Okay, so you do have someone 
and he's the best someone ever, right? So now physically here on this planet, you know, as far as like tangible that I hope that you have somebody that fits this role within your life. But if you don't, that doesn't excuse you from doing this for somebody else. Find your one, pray for them often. You need to write their name. I must, I'm hoping and I'm assuming that, you know, we are opening up this word. I would hope for our own benefits daily, daily. Now, I know that's a challenge. I get it because there's some days where I'm like, and not that I don't want to, it's just that life, right? Life like slaps you right in the face as soon as you get out of bed and you're like, I have so much stuff to do today. And you just get busy, busy and all that good stuff. It should be, as John Piper would say, it's not duty, but it's delight, right? So you want to get into this word, but so that, that also creates a good opportunity for you to write people's names down within your Bible. And those are the ones as you open it up that maybe on an index card or something that you tuck away, use that as your bookmark. I'm praying for these people continually. That's what Paul is doing for Timothy. Uh, he's praying for him night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. And, and there was a, this uh, bitter kind of separation, not in relationship-wise, but as far as like this agony of being separated between Timothy and Paul. And, and Timothy loved Paul, and Paul loved Timothy. You know, this isn't the first time Paul's been arrested, all right? This is like the second time that for sure that we know of, and a separation that had taken place, and Timothy was brought to tears, and he was heartbroken over it. And Paul remembers that, and he's like, listen, man, I, I remember, I remember the tears that you cried, uh, and I, I greatly desire to see you again. For what? So that I may be filled with joy when I call into remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And Paul is, is highlighting the fact that, yeah, Timothy, um, the faith that you have is real, it's genuine, and Timothy is a blessing or a joy to the Apostle Paul. That should also be another indicator or mark of just somebody that you are investing in. And when they show up and when they're around you, it should be a joy. You should be encouraged by them, right? That's, if you're not, then that might not be a healthy relationship, okay? And for Paul, it's sitting in this dungeon. He's like, man, Timothy, I just, man, I'd love to see you again. I would love to see you again. So he's building up Timothy. Timothy needs all this encouragement. He's been dealing with a lot, but he, he's just laying this groundwork, building him up, not puffing him up, but, but building him up, edifying him. Goes on to say, you know, this genuine faith that's in you, which first what with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So he had a believer. Uh, his grandmother was a believer. His mom was a believer. His dad probably was not a believer. All right. That's why he's not mentioned here. His dad was also not Jewish. Okay. So you have Timothy, whose grandmother is Jewish, his mom is Jewish, but they are, they are believers in Jesus. And his dad wasn't. And that Timothy was able to be brought up within this household, as, as we would understand that. I mean, especially back in this time period, dad ruled the house. Dad ruled the house. I mean, whatever dad said, that's how it went. And for, for Timothy's dad, who uh, more likely was a Roman, for him to even to allow his son to be kind of brought up with some of these teachings and everything is pretty remarkable. But all we know in this account, as Paul's just reminding Timothy, is like, listen, that faith that's in you, um, well, you can thank your mom for that, but you can also thank your grandmother for that because they passed it down. They passed it down. Some of you are here today with a relationship with Jesus because of 
family members that passed it down to you. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. One of the biggest takeaways from this book is that it's an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to give a sort of closing argument, solidifying who he is in Christ and what he was willing to sacrifice for the furtherance of the gospel. In chapter 4, Paul states, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. How many people can say that, that they've lived well and haven't fallen away from God even in times of adversity? This is an incredible statement that Paul speaks. May you strive today and every day to be able to say the same, that you fought the fight, that you finished the race, and most importantly, that you've kept the faith. We're so glad that you tuned in to study the Word with us today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can listen again online at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab. And if you're looking for a church to call home, we'd love to be that for you. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Be sure to let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer, too. That's all the time that we have for today, but we encourage you to keep on reading on your own. There's more to learn from the book of 2 Timothy, and Pastor James wants to share these things with you right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love.